Hello and welcome to the Ark Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in the Structured Finance Team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson. I'm CEO of Ark Co. The team here at Ark Co thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, we'd like to understand where the industry is going and education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. Okay, uh, welcome to the uh, Ark & Co Roundtable. Uh, I'm joined by Michael Dean at Avermore, John Salisbury uh, from Autus, uh, James Helmore at Paragon, Chris Strathmore at JLL, and Alexander Pelopidis at Roslyn King. I'm going to go around the table if you'd like to all uh, introduce yourselves and say uh, what you do and, and how you feel at the moment. Um, we can start there uh, with, with Michael. I'm Michael Dean. I'm principal and co-founder of Avermore Capital. Avermore Capital is a specialist uh, development and bridge lender. James? Uh, James Helm, I'm Senior Portfolio Manager at Paragon Development Finance. Uh, we focus mainly on uh, resi development projects in England and Wales. Great, thank you. Alex? Uh, hi, I'm Alex Plovidus, a partner at Rosalind King, a city law firm, particular focus in real estate. I myself do a lot of real estate finance uh, across sectors across the UK, a lot of focus in the southeast. Great, thank you, Alex. John? I'm John Salisbury. I'm the Managing Director of Auto Secured Finance. We're a commercial lender. Thanks, John. Um, Chris? So my name is Chris Strathen. I'm a Senior Director in the Valuation Department at uh, JLL. I mean, at JLL, we provide a vast variety of uh, services to real estate, both resi and, and commercial. Thanks, Chris. Um, to help me with the task, I've got, I've got the pleasure of being joined by my colleagues, uh, Managing Director of Ark & Co, uh, Edward Horn-Smith, and Senior Advisor, Julian King. Um, Ed, would you like to introduce yourself, give us a bit about what's happened since the election and uh, a bit about what Ark & Co are feeling for this year? Sure. Thank you very much for the introduction, Matthew. I've been working in real estate debt advisory for just over 10 years now. I've been in the real estate business for around 18 years. Looking at it in the last year, I suppose, so what did we see? We saw quite a good start to the year last year, quite a positive start. Um, I think everyone came into the year quite cautiously because there were lots of false alarms to um, a Brexit, if you like. So um, lots of deadlines given, lots of deadlines missed, uh, a moving target, if you like. I, I think the compounded uncertainty for us was seen um, in the third and final quarter of last year. So it meant that we were incredibly busy. We, we transacted... Um, more uh, last year than we did the year before, like for like, um, but the requirement for financing was driven by need um, as opposed to um, desire. Um, so it was a very good year for us last year, but it felt like a very difficult year. Now, what do I see for the year ahead? Like everyone else, no matter who you voted for um, during the last election, getting some certainty in the country has been a massive positive for everyone. Um, and I think it's the first optimism um, the country have had for 
probably three, three and a half years. At the start of this year, the last couple of weeks, we've seen our existing clients, our existing developers and investors definitely showing interest in new acquisitions, which is nice to see and something we haven't seen since perhaps the beginning of last year. Great. Thanks, Ed. Um, Julian, would you like to introduce yourself to the, to the table? Thank you, Matthew. Um, yep, yeah, I'm Julian King. I obviously work for Ark & Co in the structured finance team. I've got a background in property development. I've been involved working uh, as a land buyer, uh, development management, and I've seen, um, I've been involved in uh, certain different sectors within real estate, pretty much all of them with the exception of industrial, uh, since uh, I came into career about, uh, about 12 years ago. Um, I've landed here at Ark & Co, um, done the last year uh, focusing on structuring uh, debt um, for my clients, predominantly developers. Great. Uh, my name is Matthew. Uh, I'm a director here at Ark Co. I've been in the business for 20 years, um, starting off after graduating at Sussex in Lloyd's Corporate Banking, working my way through to Barclays Capital, building portfolios for investments, at which point I became a fully-fledged financial advisor, completing all my finance exams, setting up a business in North London, running that, ending up in the city, uh, being a, one of the lead uh, brokers in a very well-known city firm, uh, at which point Ark & Co and myself sort of looked at each other across the room and thought, you know what, if we're around the table, I think we can do things together. Um, and that's where we are at the moment. Uh, so thank you all for that. Um, there's been a lot of uh, opinion at the moment in the market uh, since, uh, since the election, and we all know that sentiment seems to have returned, albeit cautiously, um, which I think is a very good point, and that's probably a good narrative to start with. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll start with the lenders, actually. If you can do a quick recap, recap of 2019 from, from how the market felt, let's say, for Q1 and Q2, to what you found uh, was happening towards the end of the year, um, and just keep it for 2019 for now, and then we'll talk about 2020 thereafter. Um, so, Michael, if you'd like to just talk us through uh, Avermore's year uh, last year, that'd be great. 2019 for, for, for Avermore was a... Uh, it, it was ultimately a very successful year, but I suppose a lot of that is driven by uh, Avermore specific factors uh, as a relatively uh, young, small and nimble lender. Um, you know, we, ha we have the ability to, to, to adapt to circumstances and, uh, and, and perhaps we can back, buck the trend that some of the more mature and more established players uh, will, you know, will, will, will experience. Um, Notwithstanding that, you know, we, we weren't immune to the we weren't immune to some of the headwinds and the challenges that, that the market faced, and um, it, it's it, it almost seems strange to try and look back at 2019 because it was such a it almost feel, felt like you know in, in many ways the year absolutely flew by in many other ways there's so much happened it's so difficult to recall a lot of what, a lot of what happened and but it did feel a bit like. Uh, you know, I, I suppose our experience is probably a little bit different to, to those that, that, say, Ed was, uh, Ed was alluding to, um, that, 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 that you saw within ARC, in that I think the first quarter was a little bit, um, I don't know, the best, how better to describe it, a bit turgid and a bit slow. And it, it, I think a lot of that was driven by the, 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 the deadline of, I think, was it the 20... It, it was so hard to keep up. There were so many of them. It was the 29th of March, I believe. Um, and so I think that there, was a, that there was a lot of uncertainty that was, was driven there. Um, so volumes weren't stellar in that sort of first quarter. Um, when there was a sort of good news bounce, people perceived that the extension of the deadline uh, to the end of October as, as being good news. And I think there was a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of 
you know, a, a, a lot of activity that then followed that people were proceeding with. But there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, despite the fact that we were able to release a, a, new, a new product a new, at new pricing, so we were able to do uh, conversion projects at 65 loans GDV at 6.5%, which was quite competitive in the marketplace. Um, we weren't overrun with, uh, with inquiries in the way that we were expecting to, and I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that um, people weren't necessarily rushing off their feet to go and buy development sites. Uh, and in fact, where we found uh, the greatest demand, particularly in that sort of Q2, Q3, was actually more around the exit bridge, uh, around exit bridges. Um, so we did a lot of exit bridges, particularly with, with Arc, uh, where we did a number of transactions together. Um, and then into, into the, the sort of the last four months of the year, which traditionally, from an able perspective, are, uh, you know, are, are tend to be barnstorming, a barnstorming times of the year, um, we, it, it was a bit odd. You know, there was a sort of oddness to it, and, 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 it, and I would say it, it sort of goes in line with what Ed was saying earlier, which is a lot of the transactions were happening at, out of necessity rather than, uh, you know, rather than um, you know, speculative or uh, opportunistic uh, behaviours. Um, you know, where we did we did close our biggest transaction ever, which was a uh, a conversion scheme of uh, of, of um, forty seven apartments in Surrey, uh, seven point nine million gross loan. Um, so that there was certainly some activity, and we did do a number of transactions. Um, we we did see again. We were surprised that we didn't see as much demand for our signature finish and exit product, which, um, given some of the difficulties that people were experiencing with increased costs in, you know, labour costs and uh, materials costs, and the lack of availability of labour, leading to delays on site. Um, which, which are often big drivers for requirements for finishing exits. Um, we didn't see as much demand for finishing exits uh, last year, as we, again, as we were expecting, um, possibly because a lot of the incumbent lenders were um, sort of extending and pretending and, uh, and seeing things through. Um, so ultimately, we had a very good year. We, we finished things well. We did two and a half times our, or nearly two and a half times our lending of, of the previous year. So, you know, volumes were, were significantly up. Um, without us actually having to increase our headcount significantly, we went from 12 to 16 individuals within within the firm. Um, so all of those things were very positive signs. However, it, you know it wasn't necessarily easy, and um, you know we still had to push very hard. I think to get um, to get what, what to get to where we got to. Um, I think one area, of, one very positive area, which I know we've, we've all been talking about origination and getting new business on board, but actually in terms of the uh, in terms of enforcement, we you you would have expected, given all the turbulence that was going on, that we would have had to enforce um, you know enforce on uh, a larger number of loans. And actually, what we found was, um, I think, in the entire year, we only had one enforcement. So um, so again, um, you know, the, and I think ultimately the the the, the wider market um, in terms of finance seemed to be very strong. Um, and, and there were there were always exit options in terms of being able to be taken out by other lenders. Um, there was a lot more mezzanine being used because loan to cost, loan to GDVs were reduced. But that was a good thing for for mez lenders, and a, a large number of our transactions involved uh, involved mezzanine debt. 
So, um, yeah, I probably won't go any further. No, that's, that's, uh, that's great for now. Um, so, uh, John, to, to continue with you, do you want to just do a quick summary of 2019 in terms of uh, um, activity and products that were most in demand? As, as Michael alluded to there, exit bridges were probably... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, for me, 2019, the point Michael's made that really hit home to me was necessity-driven. So people who really needed to do that deal because it made sense for non sort of I don't know the macro is the right word in and on for market driven reasons you know there was a great opportunity for a lease free gear um, or they know something or they've got some plan or they're really experts in that area that deal tends to make sense in more markets than maybe deals that depend on a benign market or an upward trending market um, what we found last year there was a lot of slow pedaling on deals as various deadlines approached and people tried to figure out, try and secure the deal, try to get the optionality, but don't quite press the go button. Um, what it meant was there was a lot of wasted effort, I think. We spent a lot of time on deals that didn't happen or fizzled out or changed. So you had to work very hard. That's not a bad thing. The um, power of politicians hit home to me, um, not necessarily in a positive way, I've always felt quite protected from politics in the sense that politics has, has occurred and it's happened and it's been in the papers. But this time I thought politicians are really screwing up our lives at the moment. They're really stressing us out. And I think for, certainly for me, it changed my view of, of the political class almost um, and, and made me quite cynical in that sense that I felt that they, um, that they really sort of covered themselves in, they didn't cover themselves in, in glory, any of them. Um, I think it was a, a huge learning experience that I think will benefit, I'll benefit from in the long run, and I think uh, my, my colleagues will benefit from in the long run um, to say, keep calm and carry on. We're a good business, we've got good products. Um, our commercial lease regearing product was really popular. People saw that as an opportunity. Our ability to give people certainty became important for the first time ever. No one's ever been remotely interested in the fact that we're a balance sheet lender and we have the money. It's never mattered, whereas last year it did start to matter a little bit. Um, and, and I think just for the final couple of things is, I, I think there was one thing our chairman said to us at the beginning of the year, he's Icelandic. And obviously they've been through a lot over the last 10 years. And he said, trust me, the fear is always worse than the reality. <laughs> and um, he's, he's yeah, 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 you know him, yeah. 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 And um, he's absolutely right. There was also interesting feedback that made me quite proud of our country um, in that when foreign investors were coming in, they were saying, um, don't forget, Britain is very um, transparent. There's a great rule of law. There's a very educated population. Um, and, and it's a big economy and ultimately people aren't going to leave the UK and they're not going to stop looking positively at the UK just because we're having, they're not going to stop looking positively at us just because we're going through a bad time. And I think the fact that Britain has stabilised, whatever people think of the politics, the fact that Britain is now sitting here once again stable politically, um, I, think we, I think as a nation we should be very proud of ourselves. I think that's uh, a brilliant overview, actually. Um, there's some great points. We'll come to the brokers after the lenders and, and the professionals because then we can round everything up. Um, so, James, would you like to give us a quick five minutes of how, uh, how Paragon's year went last year and Paragon. sort of transactions that you were seeing? Sure, I think Paragon would describe 2019 as steady, but with a particularly strong end in Q4 for whatever reason. The last two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that comes, in, it's, 2019 was the first full year that the combined Titlestone and Paragon teams had together. So there was still, I think at the beginning of the year, some integration going on, merging the books, um, new staff, people leaving. So I think um, Q4 when we'd stabilized a bit, I think that, that helped with transactions uh, in that period. I think Echo, what the rest of the panelists said in terms of the deals have been taken longer to complete, programs have been stretched. I think there's a general, maybe wider issue in, in the construction industry at the moment with, I think Brexit maybe impacted the labor force more than most people thought. There's a lack of skilled UK labor. Main contractors in particular seem to be struggling. And our, our clients that build for themselves and have good contacts regionally with their subcontractors seem to still be able to keep the program and, and obviously aids with selling as well and keeping within the long term. Our sales exit product that we um, only had from the beginning of this year has been used for the same reasons that everyone else has mentioned. Um, but we're, we're positive for 2020. We've got a stable team now. I think the election result will provide the stability that will allow us to to kick on. Um, thank you, uh, James, for that. I mean, that's made some very good points, actually. Um, you know, Chris, I'll come to you now. Um, all three lenders spoke about exit bridges and, and, and post-development products. Um, that as a safety net, if you like, for the question of value, I guess, um, is, is, is why a, a developer would, would look to do that. Um, from your perspective, how, how has value been affected by the political turmoil that, that we all recognise happened last year? The sort of prohibitive politics that we, we, we saw on our screens every day uh, and the lack of movement that, that happened. Obviously, that's been released now. But from, from, from a valuation perspective and values and, and the questions that arise from that, what would you say? Yeah, so I mean, 2019, from a valuation perspective, was, you know, it was a difficult year unless you were valuing industrial property. Um, I think you know, particularly residential in London, uh, particularly prime uh, residential in the more expensive areas. Um, where that market has been A, uh, impacted negatively by the uh, stamp duty and B, by the Brexit uncertainty and to a certain extent, uh, particularly during at the beginning of the year, the, the, the withdrawal of a lot of um, foreign potential investors in, in the residential market, um, then that uh, side was, was difficult and values declined throughout the year. And that's been a steady uh, decline of over 20% on the prime since the... Um, the uh, peak prior to um, prior to Brexit, um, the referendum. Sorry. So, so that's the one side of the story. But on the other side of the story, um, where they, uh, uh, in effect, um, incentives have been granted by the government to the to get the first people on the ladder, in effect, so that the lower value um, schemes, particularly in East London, those benefited um, significantly, and actually values were going up. So it very much depended on the price bracket and the location, say, in, in London. And re regionally, um, there is still a shortage of good housing. So that has meant, particularly in the lower bracket pricing, that um, you know, there has been um, better liquidity. I wouldn't say you know, price, price ranges, generally house prices have been very slowly rising um, throughout the rest of the UK, but liquidity is, 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 is still comfortable in those parts. Um, on the commercial side, 
because this impacts the, the residential side and, and, and when you've been talking about your products of, 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 of permitted development rights on office to, to resi, um, that has actually impacted on um, office uh, values because there is now a shortage of supply of quality offices in most regional uh, centres and, and particularly uh, in London. So it's interesting, you do have obsolescence of office buildings as they get tired and old, um, but you remove that stock because you're converting it into residential to, to uh, aid the, uh, the residential um, supply demand imbalance there. Um, but it has impacted uh, offices in particular. So you know, offices you know, performed well last year, and the returns were over 6%. Um, and that then impacts again uh, with the residential uh, uh, on the industrial market, because the industrial market's been very strong because of the structural change um, in the retail market with online sales increasing dramatically, massive big sheds being built for logistics, but also you're having to then have the small van deliver your, your, your logistics product, we call it last mile delivery. Um, and those units are in short supply because industrial land has been redeveloped for residential. So, so you can see while the residential market might have struggled in parts of, particularly in London and in, 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 in town, town centres, um, because of the pricing impacts, then um, that's had a positive impact, ironically, on the office and the industrial market. Whereas obviously our big problem of last year, um, which was very negative, was the retail um, pricing, which, which obviously was a disaster um, and is structural decline. Um, and there is talk now at the beginning of this year whether have we reached uh, the bottom um, of that uh, decline because values fell over 10% during the year and some products just wouldn't sell. And again, what's interesting there is particularly in, in town centres that are very secondary, some shopping malls or high streets, you know, they are defunct now, they are obsolete. And it's what can go in their place. You know, can we have mixed use of, of offices and residential development, which seems the obvious alternative. But the, 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 the problem with that is obviously, are there jobs for people to work and therefore who want to live A, in those, those um, obsolete town centres, uh, uh, you know, is there a job for them to therefore want to spend money in a town centre and also work there and, um, and live there? So that's the, the, the problem in, 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 that, in that side. And also industrials benefiting from, from the retail warehousing where the market's fallen so much that those retail warehouses are being converted um, to, uh, to industrial uh, units because the price imbalance is worth it. You've got the storage units for the large online retailers now as well, which is a, a demand coming through, I suspect. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you have that. And then the high street is very much about, well, how can you create an experience so people go there? So more food and beverage, more leisure um, to attract people there. So that's what we're hoping will go forward. Um, but for 2019, it was tough. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Alex, I'm going to come to you next. Um, clearly, what's been said around the table all centres on uh, the, the legal opinion. Um, have you found trends of lenders and valuers uh, protecting themselves? Are there clauses that have popped up, you know, subject to Brexit, subject to retail and so on? You know, summarise the year for us last year and from a legal perspective, that'd be great. Well, towards the end of last year, you had the Corbyn clauses, it's a well publicised, so saw a couple of those. Um, obviously, in 2016, after the referendum, we had the Brexit clauses. But to be honest, um, 
as has been borne out over the three years up to now, I think the robustness of the English legal system and the way we craft contract has really showed why we are a world-class system because the freedom between the parties to uh, build in a lot of terminology that will cover a lot of uh, flexibility around the market has meant that I haven't seen too much dispute over things really and in terms of getting into contract people have been very cautious and I think it's my experience transactionally is reflecting what people are saying around the table which is last year was very much about every Brexit deadline this will push up until the point of no return supposedly and then drawing back um, lot of going slow on transactions um, people dropping things and revisiting for various reasons um, but what I also saw, which was kind of interesting, was innovation. So at this time where people are working a lot harder, it's forcing a lot of parties, lawyers included, to think about how we're doing transactions, how we can turn things around quicker, whether we're drafting properly for what we need to cover. So um, in terms of the sectors that I'm seeing that are kind of coming back into more focus, I'd say, is the alternatives that people are sp speaking about. So I'm very interested in how that will force the legals to uh, focus on that area. For example, later living is a very undeveloped um, sector legally in terms of it's a patchwork right now of different acts. And I know that ARCO, who represent a lot of the operators there, they are committed to create a New Zealand-style uh, codification there. So, for example, whereas at the moment lawyers have to work in you know, planning, uh, trying to get the leases to work, all the other elements together. So... At this time where people are trying to find new sectors, actually, uh, the English legal system will respond to that and we'll see some innovation there, which is interesting for us. Um, just not, uh, it will take time. Um, I mean, the other thing to say, and I'm sure we'll look forward in a moment, but um, Brexit, as everyone is alluding to, uh, okay, it's happening at the end of the month, but we haven't actually left yet. But also, um, I think what will happen is last year we started to see a little bit more of people thinking beyond 2020 and 21 we've got the LIBOR disruption that could potentially happen um, so as a lawyer I, I'm thinking about that and things that are also changing like the money laundering regulations people are aware of that and that transparency drive is definitely upon us um, so all the things will come together. It'll be interesting, though, to see what happens when we actually leave, you know, um, and we're into potentially WTO or whatever it might be. That's going to be the real challenge. Um, but I would echo what people are already saying. Last year was very much stop and start, and um, hopefully this year will be a bit, a bit more smoother. Brilliant. Um, we'll touch on uh, what happens after this yeah. month shortly, and I'm sure everyone's keen to, to, to say something. Um, but before we do, I'd like to get a broker perspective, if possible. Ed, could you cover um, everything but development? Just from 2019, you know, the alternative use market, uh, you've done a lot of commercial transactions, sure. um, a lot of trading businesses. How did you yeah. feel and find it? So 2019, I'd echo what everyone said in this room. I think I've never... I've never been so bored of giving my opinion on politics. <laughs> I mean, the whole, I think one third of my time on the telephone in 2019 was talking about politics. And that created for us a bit of a team ethos. We have a Tuesday meeting in here every week. And we kind of had this team ethos last year that focus on the things you can control, not the things you can't control. And um, that's exactly what we did. You know, we've got a... Um, 
We, we're mandated by our clients to advise and structure debt. It was a very difficult year for them. So we had to go out to market and, and, and structure the best debt that was available. Um, what did we see in 2019? Um, it was a very uh, taxing year for two reasons, really. Number one, valuations were difficult. Okay, if we were refinancing something that had been financed two years prior, there was a very strong chance the valuation would be lower. Um, there was also less desire from senior lenders to, um, to, uh, to lend uh, at the same leverage that they might have done a year or two years prior. So we kind of had this compounded issue. Um, that really, um, for us, uh, saw throughout the year us arranging um, a lot more structured debt. So we, we've we provided more junior debt last year, or more loans with two lenders than we have done um, in any year prior. Um, and I think that was our kind of way of of supporting the client and combating that issue. Um, if we look at the different sectors, the second half of last year. Um, uh, arranging larger commercial debt for institutional lenders so long dated money was very difficult um, I think we were talk talking about people taking a longer view I think there was also um, a lot of especially European and American um, lenders, institutional lenders that, that were actually just having a bit of a wait and see uh, approach uh, I've, I've had responses from European lenders um, that have said they're on Brexit break. Um, and, you know, if you, if you read Real Estate Capital, there was a very good article at the start of the year. And the, I think the majority, or at least 50% of European and US lenders on an institutional scale um, have, have very much stepped, had very much stepped back um, from the market. I've seen a flurry of activity at the start of this year. Um, how will it go? I don't know. Ask me in December. But um, we seem to be making mo more progress at the start of this year than we did at the end of last year. Um, but overall, a very difficult year. We've still got deals done. They might have been slightly more expensive and slightly more highly geared from a valuation point of view than they had been in previous years um, but we're getting them done um, I, I guess the one thing I really enjoyed about last year is I think these challenges have made uh, investors developers within real estate um, uh, a lot more creative Okay, and if something doesn't work, looking at other options that might work. So we talked about later living, you know, um, so that's something that, again, I've, I think is very interesting and we've done a lot of work on and had some success and worked with some of the leaders in the market on, um, but also co-living, PRS, um, assisted living. Um, they're all sectors that we had more activity on last year than we've had in previous years. And I, I think it will be exactly the same in retail this year. So already now I'm working with, um, with not necessarily retail investors. Typically, 
but they're qualifying themselves into the retail sector and looking at ways of recovery, adding value, restructuring. Um, and it is quite good and exciting to see that creativity. And we really, as a business, um, want to be on the front foot of that. Thanks, Ed. Um, there's a lot of good messages there, actually, um, being a difficult year, but you know, using words like slow peddling and mezzanine finance and junior debt um, allowed Arc & Co to achieve our clients' objectives with the help of, of, of you guys around the table. Just to wrap up 2019, Julian, if you'd like to talk to us about the development side of things, um, a quick five minutes, that'd be great. Sure. Um, it's a year or two halves, I suppose, if I look at it like that. Um, it's a stop-start year uh, from the beginning. So, I mean, one thing that I picked up on in the first two quarters of last year were, were gearing levels coming down by 5%. You know, if, you, if a lender was happy at 65% loan to GDV, term sheets were coming back at 60. Pricing wasn't any different. Um, and obviously that's pricing for some of the uncertainty that was in the market at the beginning and during the course of last year. Um, another thing that I noticed on a number of term sheets were at the beginning of the year, a lot of pricing was based was was priced over base rate, and it changed to LIBOR. At the beginning of the year, LIBOR was 0.9. It dropped down towards 0. in line with the the Bank of England rate. Um, so those were a couple of subtle differences in terms of what I was coming or what was coming back across the desk from you know, from lenders. And again, yeah, that that was obvious. Uh, you know, that that was an amendment to risk appetite in the marketplace. Um, nonetheless, there were deals to be done, picking up on some of the points um, that Chris was raising there, uh, liquidity. Uh, so those developers that were in some of the regional hotspots between you know, the, the coverage, I, I suppose, from Birmingham down to London, the southeast, um, You've got some major uh, regional conurbations there with, with good housing. There's still a huge deficit, uh, you know, in terms of the supply uh, that's, that's, that's coming to the marketplace. So, um, but one of the things we talked about last year was the wage gap, and, and it's lower. So, effectively, it's a lot more affordable. So, I think demand uh, remained quite robust for some of those clients that were operating in those, you know, in the, in those sort of uh, micro um, Markets, if you like. Um, moving forward, you know, I think uh, the back end of 29 wasn't wasn't vastly different to that. Um, I think this year will be potentially slightly easier if the last two weeks are anything to go by. Um, I think lenders are a little bit more confident. I think developers are more confident to put a spade in the ground and buy those sites that they didn't buy last year, um, being led by consumer confidence. Um, so, again, picking up on some of the things John said, you know, we've, we've all had to work harder in 2019 than we probably ordinarily would have to do. But, you know, through that we've learnt, we've overcome challenges. That makes us all stronger to advise better, to be more creative in lending products. Um, and again, it's sort of, you know, that, that's for us to then educate and roll that out with clients to... Um, solve their funding solutions to, to bring their projects to life. Um, so I think that puts everybody, uh, you know, yes, it's been hard, but probably puts everybody you know, on the front foot coming into 2020. 
And that concludes our roundtable for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Ark & Co podcast. Mm-hmm.